How are you doing today? Good to see you. Thanks for being here. Hey, just uh, by way of letting you know what happened last night, after service we had the first round of our food packing event down in the, the family center. I think we packed, or you guys who are serving packed, 38,000 meals last night. Yeah. So after this service, um, if you haven't signed up, there's probably still a little bit of room for you. Go downstairs. Follow the team. That'll be after the service downstairs. We're going to pack somewhere around 38,000 meals. Our goal for the day um, or, or the whole entire weekend is 100,000 meals. So we're well on our way to doing that, accomplishing that goal. Uh, you guys have given generously for that. Uh, and, and I just believe it's going to make a significant impact in lives in Haiti uh, and just being a part of, on a grander scale, what's going on in, in feeding. I know last weekend the team uh, that, that's helping us do this, Kids Around the World, they were in another place, Northern California. They packed 135,000 meals with that church and so it's just cool to be a part of something like this that God is doing. So thanks for being here. This is our last weekend in this sermon series called Alive. If you've missed the past couple of weeks, let me just catch you up real quick. Two weeks ago, on Easter Sunday, we kicked the series off saying this. The, the news of Easter, the message of Easter, is simultaneously worse than we thought, but better than we could ever possibly imagine. And here's, what, here's our idea. That Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. That Jesus didn't come just for behavior modification, just to try to improve our, our, our actions and our activities and our thoughts a little bit by a little bit. Jesus came to declare that apart from him we are dead, but he has come that we might have life and we might have life abundantly to the fullest. And Jesus came so that we could have life as he designed us to live. Last week we talked in Ephesians 2 with this idea that we can be saved through Jesus and, and it's by grace not anything that we have done, not anything that we have earned on our own, but it's by grace. God has just been gracious to us and sent His one and His only Son, Jesus, for us. And by faith, by believing, by accepting, receiving what He has done, we can be forgiven, we can be set free, we can be healed, we can be recipients of His grace. And it says it's not by works that any of us could boast. It's not anything that we could do. It's what Christ has done for us. And on top of that also, He's created us as His masterpieces in Jesus Christ for good works. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a masterpiece of God. And God has a plan and God has a purpose. He's created you for good works. Not just to show up on a weekend, to hear some things, to say yay, and then walk out and leave unchanged, but to go tomorrow, or this afternoon, tomorrow, with expectation and anticipation of what God is wanting to do in your life, everywhere you go. And we can live like this. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about what does it mean to be alive in light of eternity? What does it mean for heaven to come and touch down on earth, right where we are. I don't know if any of you saw on ESPN or, or YouTube, it's all over Facebook as well this week, the story um, out of Lincoln, Nebraska. Last weekend, Nebraska Cornhuskers had their annual red-white game. And it's in the fourth quarter of the annual red-white game. It's getting down to the last little bit. The red team is, is down. They're facing a fourth and one, and they're, they're trying to figure out what to do. So they call to the bench, and they bring out their secret weapon. Jack Hoffman, number 22, to, to, to make it through, power through on this fourth and one. 60,000 fans are in the auditorium there, or the, the um, stadium. They're watching this happen. They bring in 
Number 22, Jack Hoffman. They hand him the ball. He starts running left and then he redirects and he comes back around to the right and he runs and he has blockers surrounding him all the way into the end zone. 60,000 fans are going crazy and this 69-yard touchdown, he slams the ball. The team lifts him up and the stadium is just going crazy because nine-year-old Jack Hoffman just ran this touchdown against all odds. You see... 2011, Jack was diagnosed with a brain tumor. So I I can't really watch this story and not be moved. Uh, It's very similar in some ways to our daughter's story. He was diagnosed, and the team uh, a a couple years ago sort of connected with Jack, and they thought, okay, this is a guy that we want to be encouraged by, and we want to encourage in any way that we can. October 8, 2011, two days before Jack had a second surgery to remove this glioblastoma that was in his brain. Nebraska was playing Ohio State in the Big Ten home opener. They got laid into the game and they were down, or at halftime they were down 20-6. to six. And Burkhead, the running back, Jack's favorite player on the whole entire team, he saw a wristband one of his teammates were wearing in honor of Jack. And Burkhead sort of rallied the troops and said, Jack's not giving up, we're not giving up. So they rallied from 20 to 6 and came back to win the game 34 to 27, the biggest comeback in school history. There's Jack's not giving up, we're not giving up. Fast forward two more years and Jack is running the 69 yard uh, uh, touchdown. And it was interesting to hear one of the commentators on ESPN say that this team, that this little nine year old Jack had been looking up to for so long, as they lift him up in celebration, they're all looking up to him. And they sort of had that motto that Jack's not giving up. So we're not giving up. And everybody's going crazy and it's emotional and you should watch it. It's very cool. But I I just thought about this. What if in 2011, Jack and his parents could have just had this vision, this video of what was going to happen in 2013? And what if they had those two years to live to say, this is hard, this is hard, this is tough, this is terrible, but I know 2013, I'm running a 69-yard touchdown in the red-white game. I think that would be a a little bit of hope brought into a dark situation. You think that would be a little bit of perspective brought into the journey that they were going to have to go through. See, the the fact is, they're still in the middle of this battle. and It's not over. And and I just wonder even if if they could just get this this video, this, this glimpse of heaven... Right now, to say what you're going through, what you're facing right now. I wonder what Jack and his parents would be able to, 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 to sense and feel and, and how they would approach every day if they just had this bigger picture, this bigger story. Well, on one of the first surgeries, as Jack's uh, dad was sort of handing him off to be wheeled back to surgery, he said, I thought it was the end and all I could do was whisper in his ears, Jack, remember Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And I wonder what would happen even for, for us if we begin to get this picture of, of the love, the conquering love of Jesus, of, of the plan, of the grace that he has for us. <clears throat> that no matter what we're going through, that no matter what circumstances we face or situations are in our lives, that we would just remember, hey, Jesus loves me. And Jesus has a plan And it's not just this temporal, right now kind of perspective. 
There's another part of the story. There's a bigger narrative going on. And if we could just get a glimpse of eternity and just get a glimpse of heaven, and if that could just touch us on earth, how would we live differently? Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And as you're turning to 1 Peter, just let me set a little bit of context. 1 Peter chapter 1 takes place some 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. If you just read this, this short little uh, book, you'll, you'll find that in their culture, their society, Christians were struggling with employers. And so there's advice how to go through your struggles at work. There's marriage issues that needed resolution. And Peter is writing, here's, here's an approach to how you can have a healthy marriage. There's ridicule that Christians are facing from skeptical neighbors and there's peer pressure in their community and Peter is writing to help them understand how to navigate those. There's persecution that is looming on the horizon and Peter is writing to give them advice and admonition. Here's how you handle yourself. Doesn't sound too different than our day, right? So Peter begins to write in Chapter 1, verse 3. And this is the same Peter who denied Jesus, one of the closest associates of Jesus, who was restored by Jesus. Remember, he denied him three times, but Jesus came back to him and restored him three times. He asked him, Peter, do you love me? Three times. And Peter comes on to be one of those strongest apostles, preachers, proclaimers of God's truth that Christ uses powerfully in his day. Verse 3, Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, so just let's break it down a little bit. He's talking about praise be to God our Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's rooting this whole passage in praise in a perspective of remembering who God is. And then He immediately says, in His great mercy... Last week as we read Ephesians 2, we talked about this God who is rich in mercy. That by grace he has saved us. And these two words, grace and mercy, are are sort of two sides of the same idea. Grace could be simply defined as getting things we don't deserve. That grace is God extending forgiveness to us. Giving us forgiveness even though we don't deserve it. God by grace gives it to us. Mercy, on the other hand, is us not getting things That we do deserve. And God who is rich in mercy, great in his love, he doesn't give us what we deserve. He doesn't give us the consequences that our actions deserve. He is merciful to us. He is great in mercy, has given us a new birth into a, listen to what it says, a living hope. The opposite of a living hope would obviously be a dead hope. But, But listen, this is not hope like we talk about hope. We talk about hope in in, in interesting ways. We say things like, I hope I get that job. It's not expectation. That's like wishful thinking. We say things like, "I, I just hope this headache goes away. It's not like we're believing, expecting it to go away. We just wish it would go away. We say things like, I hope Bella and Edward make it and survive. Okay, so I had to Google to even know what those names were. Now I know who the Twilight fans are among us. We say things like, I hope the Lakers make the playoffs until, what, Friday night, all of our hopes are dashed. 
and it's over. But hope biblically is not wishful thinking. Hope biblically is not, oh, I just wish this were happening. Hope biblically is a confidence to live by. Hope in the biblical sense is a confidence, an expectation, an anticipation that something's going to happen because God has said this. And it's not just going through life saying, I really, really wish, I really, really hope. In that sense, it's saying, I'm believing I'm trusting. I'm expecting. And look what he says. He says, we've been given this new birth into a living hope. Listen, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is true, then the way we look at life, the things we anticipate in life, must change. If it's really true that that God could raise Jesus from the dead and that he would do that and declare victory over death and victory over sin, if that is true, it changes the way we live this life. And we can talk about 2,000 years ago, what happened in the resurrection, but here's what we need to know. In 2013, what does it mean? And Peter says it means we have a living hope, a confidence to live by So don't answer this out loud, but would you say that your life is marked by confidence? Marked with anticipation and expectation of what God wants to do. Marked with a sense of of hope and longing because you know God is God and you trust that even if life is a little rough right now, that He's still good and He's still in control? Or would you say... No, there's just despair that creeps in at every turn. And I'm not talking about are you pessimistic or are you optimistic. I'm not talking about are you realistic or would you just say, I'm just confused. I'm saying, is there an underlying confidence, hope, that no matter what is going on and no matter what season you find yourself in, you still trust a living hope, a confidence to live by Based not on our circumstances, but based on who Christ is. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll sing it in a few minutes. That he was trampling over death by death. That he was conquering our sin. That he was delivering us from guilt and shame. Bringing us into hope. Bringing us into a preferred future. With purpose for our lives. But that's not all. There's another dimension to this hope. Look at verse 4. It says he's bringing us into this living hope, and, and number four, verse 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, I could take 20 minutes just on, on these two verses, but, but let's quickly just talk about what are... What are The things that Peter would want us to know. So first of all, there's obviously this word inheritance. This is a big word. Uh, I talked last week about this idea of this lady in Chicago wrote me into her will. And I don't know why she did it. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I was her pastor. I participated in her funeral. But none of that was me earning the right to be written into her will. She just did it. Why? It was an act of grace. It was just a gracious thing that she did. 
And so we have this inheritance, Peter says, if we are followers of Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance that is an eternal inheritance. Now some of you are like, I want an inheritance. I want it now. This one's better. This one's even better. This one's even greater than what you're wanting right now. This is an eternal inheritance. Look at some of the words he says that can never perish, that can never spoil, that can never fade. It means it's eternal. Some of these words hint that it is immortal, that it's uncorrupted. See, if you get an inheritance now, I promise you, it may be a year, it may be 10 years, it may be 30 years, it'll be gone soon. You get an inheritance, you buy a car, it will break down. You get an inheritance, you buy a home, it will eventually not meet your needs. And you're like, I think I need another one. This inheritance will never spoil, never fade. It's eternal. That there's a promise, there's something that that Jesus is saying. If, If you would just understand that this inheritance, it's reserved for you, it's kept for you in heaven. It means it's it's guarded. There's this other phrase, it's who through faith are shielded. We get this inheritance again through faith. It's that fulfillment of our salvation, but it's shielded by God, protected. It's guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Who through faith are shielded. So there's something that Peter is saying here that says, life is more about what's going on right now. The perspective that we live our lives by is not just Temporal. It's not us just looking around and saying, here's my circumstance, here's my situation. This is reality. Peter's saying maybe reality is bigger than right now. Bigger than what you have in this moment. Maybe reality has eternal dimensions and eternal inheritance that is going on. I, I called it this for that second fill in the blank for some of you. I called it an eternal affection. And let me explain what I mean by that. I think I need to explain that an eternal affection. It's, it's what we treasure. Our affections are our, it's an old word, but it's our heart's desire. It's the things we long for. It's the things that motivate us to do what we do. And Peter is saying that this in, eternal inheritance should be a treasure that supersedes all treasures we have that influences us, motivates us beyond anything we would ever have. A couple of verses to help explain this. Hebrews 9 verse 27 It says, just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, that's no news to any of you. None of you are like, we die once? Like, I really thought we died twice. He says, we we are destined to die once, and listen, after that to face judgment. So what Scripture clearly tells us, we die, and there's a judgment coming. Now, this judgment is not like most of us think. It's not simply, were you bad or were you good? The judgment really is, are you dead or are you alive? Have you trusted Christ or not? Verse 28, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time. Listen, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. To bring salvation, a fulfillment, a completion of, of what we have experienced here. And scripture tells us we can experience glimpses of heaven, but it will not ever be fulfilled until the return of Jesus Christ. And at that point and at that time, we will give an account. At that point and at that time, there's a judgment. And it's basically this, for the decisions we made here on earth. For the decisions of what do we do with Jesus 
Do we accept and believe and surrender? Or do we just say in our head, oh, that's neat, that's cool, he seems like a really good guy. And then we go on our way living our lives. There's a call here to to think deeply about who Jesus is, to think deeply about the resurrection. And if it's really true, there's implications for our lives, there's decisions to be made now and not be delayed upon. Colossians 3.1 says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. The resurrection of Jesus, for those of us who have believed, we've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ. Here again, it points to that future time, when Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. So here's what Paul says in that passage in Colossians. He says, set your affection, your heart, not just think about, not just meditate a little bit. He's saying, set your heart motivation on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Because if we just focus on our circumstance, if we just focus on what's going on here, we will be overwhelmed. But if we look to what is above and what is true and what what God calls us to think about, the things that are above, we have strength, we have hope, we have peace no matter what is going on. There's a different kind of perspective that Paul is calling us towards. So so after the message last night, I went and I sat down and I was listening to those last songs and, and I just thought, you know, sometimes I talk about suffering and hard times a lot. And I, thought, I wonder if there's anybody in this room that's, that, that was thinking last night. He sure does talk about suffering and hard times a lot. And maybe there's a part of me that I was like, maybe this is sort of my self-therapy just because of what we've been through for the last four years. But here at the heart is what I really do believe is why I say those things. There are some of you in this room right now who are in the middle of it. You're so in the middle of it. Now, the people around you, they would look at you and and they wouldn't even know that you're in the middle of it. Why? Because all of us in this room have gotten good at faking it. But there's some of you right now, you're in the midst of it. Some of you are, you're walking and carrying a burden from way, way, way back some other time, but you're still carrying the burden that you've not let go of yet. And then some of you are going to face something in the future And my hope and my prayer would be that you would remember these truths. You would remember these words. Because when that time comes, you'd be ready. Or when that time comes for someone that you love so dearly. Or when that time comes for a person at work or a neighbor. That you would be ready to offer hope. And not just say, wow, I don't understand. That doesn't make sense. That's tough. You'd be able to say, let me, let me just remind you. Let me help you think through this more deeply. But this idea of this... Eternal affection is the thing that we long for, treasure most. And it's not just earthly. It's eternal. It's what Christ has done for us. And it has this power to transform us. It has this power to change the direction, the motivations of our hearts. It has the power to change not just what we do, but why we do what we do. So the the news just keeps getting better in some sense. Read verse 6 with me. Peter says, in all of this, in all of this news, you greatly rejoice. And you would think, okay, there's the good part, but listen to where he goes next. 
Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Though now for a little while, for a season of life, for a period of time, you may have had to suffer grief. Peter says, in all of this you greatly rejoice. And some of us can scratch our heads and be like, I I don't really know about this whole greatly rejoicing thing. You don't know what's going on in my life. But Peter says, in, in this season, there's a possibility for a supernatural reaction, even in the darkest days, even in the hardest times. And we can fake it in a room like this and we can come and, 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 and act like we have it together while inside there's turmoil. And inside there's all kinds of grief going on. And here's what I strongly believe. If you haven't suffered grief, if you haven't had your heart broken, if you haven't wept at injustice or been angry at oppression in this world, you haven't even lived. You are asleep and you need to wake up. Because if you've not suffered like that, if you've not had others around you who have had things happen to them and it breaks your heart, if you don't turn on the evening news sometimes and just have your heart ripped out because what goes on in this world, in this community, you're not even alive. And you need to wake up. Because you, you don't even know what Jesus would experience and tell you. You're oblivious to that. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. If you've never suffered, if you've never been through that kind of thing, you're just sort of in la-la land. And it's time to wake up and it's time to understand this world is broken. We don't have to be surprised by it. Now, I'll admit, until four years ago when our daughter was diagnosed, I had life easy. And I understand now on the backside of this a whole new dimension of what it means to suffer grief. But I'm telling you this, unless we wrestle with those pains and those injustices that are all around us, we're not even awake. We're not understanding what's going on here. But the truth is many of us have understood deeply and we're wrestling deeply right now, currently in the midst of it. Wednesday, the staff... Uh, we were sharing just needs that we know in our community. We were, we were praying for some in our midst and, and people we know outside of this uh, congregation that are suffering. We, we were praying for people who have suffered the loss of children recently. Praying that God would comfort and bring such hope apart from circumstances on an eternal scale. We, we begin to pray for some in our midst who suicide has been part of their experience. And we begin to pray that God would bring hope and life. We, we begin to pray for those who depression and dark, dark days are part of their experience. And, and mental illness that, that sometimes is frowned upon and, and sometimes places like this get a reputation of you need to put your best foot forward when you show up at church. We begin to pray that, that we would be a place where it's just safe. And the simple answer of, well, we'll just pray about that wouldn't be the end of the story. It would, we'll pray about that and then we'll also help you find good doctors and help and counselors to work through this with you. That, that hillside would be a place eventually where we would all be comfortable enough to say, you're a mess, I'm a mess, we're all a mess, and Jesus still loves us anyways. 
And to be able to say in this time right now, we suffer grief. But in this we greatly rejoice. This isn't the end of the story. This isn't the whole picture. This isn't the end. And even death itself is not the end. And the resurrection of Jesus tells us that there is hope. And in this you greatly rejoice, not because you're looking at what's going on now, not even the past, because I strongly believe this. Sometimes it's too painful for us to fully deal with the past. And sometimes our hearts can't take to look at the present and bear the weight of the present. So sometimes we just have to look forward. And sometimes we just have to look for a day where Christ will return and He will make everything right and He will wipe every tear away from our eyes. There will be no more crying, no more pain, no more shame, no more guilt. He will make all things new. Revelation 21 says these things and it says, He will be our God and we will be His people. And we hold out for that kind of a day. And that kind of a day, longing and looking for that kind of a day, brings what Peter is talking about here, an inexpressible joy. That's why he can say, in this you greatly rejoice. Not because you look at what's going on around you, you have an eternal perspective. Heaven invades earth. That's why Jesus would say something like, your kingdom come, your will be done. What happens in heaven, may it be done on earth. So Peter continues in verse 7 talking about these different trials and and how we respond and what goes on. Verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So what Peter is talking about here is he's talking about a demonstration of authenticity. He's talking and he uses this metaphor of gold that goes through a fire and is refined. And this demonstration of authenticity for gold is it comes out pure because the fire eliminates all of the impurities. It it takes out all of those things that don't belong and the gold comes out pure. And Peter says there's an aspect of our trials, there's an aspect of the difficult days of life as we go through them They demonstrate the genuineness of faith. They they, they demonstrate that faith is indeed strong and enduring and offers hope even in the darkest of days. So a few weeks ago we had our egg extravaganza thing here for Easter. And um, Monday morning we got the cash boxes back in the office. And and one of the ladies in the office came to me and she said, we found something in the cash box. I'm like, well, money? No. No, we found this piece of jewelry. I'm not going to go into it because then 400 of you will call the office tomorrow morning and say, is it mine? Is it this? Um, Now, if you did lose something at the extravaganza, you can call, but you will have to describe what it is. So, so, she tells me about it, and I said, well, is it real? And she said, well, um, we decided to do, do a test on it to check the authenticity of this piece of jewelry. I'm like, really? Like, I thought we were just in the ministry. I didn't know we were, like, certified in those kind of areas, but okay. And so based upon the calculations of that office, yes, this was indeed the genuine article. And it's still mostly all together and in, in, in pieces, but... Because as we did this test, as it was done, it was 
proving that it really was genuine. And Peter says there's, there's, there's these times where we go through these trials, and, and I've seen it, I don't know if you've seen it, where you look at someone and you just say, I don't know how you're making it through this like you are. And then they just respond and they say something simply like this. I couldn't do it without Christ. It's his strength, it's his hope that carries me. That's what Peter's talking about. But, but let me just say this. He's not talking about we go through these hard times perfectly. Not at all. Not at all is he saying we endure suffering and we never turn our back, we never question, we never get mad or angry. He's not saying that at all. He's saying even though there may be seasons of wrestling and doubt and wavering, that, that there's still this firmness, there's still this, I, but I come back at the end of the day to God. I come back and I run not away from him, but I run to him. And it proves the genuineness of my faith. But then he also says there's something better and beyond that, there's the eternal component of this. When our faith in the last day is proved at that moment to be absolutely authentic. And that's the ultimate test. And that's the ultimate test not based on our actions, not based on our activity, based on our faith. And we are proven, our faith is proven to be genuine because Christ says so. And it's not because of what we've done in our own strength. It's also a proven um, fact and reality that the resurrection of Jesus is true. And at that final day, the consummation, we're able to have the fulfillment of our faith. And say, Jesus, it was worth it. Here's the problem. And this is Jesus' words. He says this in Matthew 7. This is a warning that we need to take heed to. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So there's all kinds of reasons that people would come before Jesus at the last day and say, I'm yours. I went to church. I read the Bible some. I prayed. I did these great things. I even preached. I sang. I did all these things. And he would say to some, I never knew you. Because it's not about our activity. It's not about our performance. It's about, it's about our relationship. And faith, belief, trust is about knowing who Christ is. Living in a relationship with Him. That's how we are made alive. Not by what we do, but by who we follow. Verse 8 in First Peter Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith. 
the salvation of your souls. You are receiving that end resort of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And I call this a full manifestation of glory. And here's what I mean. We can know in part right now, we will know in full there. We can know a little bit at that time, but we are now, but at that time we will know completely. We will understand completely. And there's this full manifestation of glory because when that day comes, when we are in heaven, finally then every wrong will be made right. Every injustice will be dealt with forever. And though for right now we may suffer all kinds of grief. And though for right now it may not make sense why this happens or this happens or this happens. There is coming a day where Jesus himself will bring everything and restore everything and reveal everything. Like I said, make every wrong right. Punish every injustice. Free completely and forever. And I love how Peter says this whole idea of you haven't even seen him, but you love him. You don't even see him right now, but you still, many of us, trust him and we follow after him and we obey. And if there's anything I want to convey to us today, it's, it's just remember more deeply. Just get a better picture of that eternal day that, that will motivate us and bring hope into our circumstance. And, and I was thinking about it like this in the past year. My wife and I have went to a number of movies. Uh, a couple of them are based on uh, true accounts. And so we're sitting there in zero dark 30 and we're stressing out about what's going to happen. And I thought if I could just stand up in the middle of the theater with a pause button and say, pause. Hey guys, spoiler alert, Bin Laden dies. I know the story, it's over. If, if, if I could go to Argo and stand in the middle of Argo and push pause, hey guys, they get out of Iran. They're, they're going to be free. Stop worrying. So like literally, my wife and I, two different times this year, we're sitting there. We're so into the movie. We're stressed out, and it's time to get up. And we're like, ooh, like I'm so tense from watching this movie. Whoa. But we know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. And if we hope and if we trust and if we remember that what Scripture says is true, and it will be completely true soon and very soon, we have a living hope, a confidence to live by. We have a new affection that begins to motivate our heart based on eternity, not here and now, but on what God will do ultimately. We have a new power to live by Jesus Christ, the hope of the resurrection, invading life, heaven coming down. This understanding that, yeah, we may cry now. There's coming a day He will wipe every tear away from our eyes. Yeah, there's some of us that are suffering pain, but this is not the end of the story. And the next chapter is so good. It's so, so good. We can have hope through anything now. Because he loves us far more than we could possibly imagine. And he's preparing a place for us. Let's pray.
God, help us understand these truths. God, help us to, to not just talk about them and then forget. Help us to be transformed by them. God, we pray that you, today, by your Holy Spirit, would fill us with a living hope. A confidence in who you are. A confidence in your word, that your word is true. That in the middle of whatever we are going through right now, it doesn't matter what we've done. You still love us. You are still gracious. You are still merciful. And we have no need to hide in shame or to run from you. We can run to you for grace and mercy in our time of need. We can have hope. We can offer hope. We can give life as you give us life, resurrection life. So God, I pray for your comfort for those who are in mourning. I pray for your hope for those who are in despair. I pray for those who are hiding and trying to cover up things. For your grace and your mercy. And as they would be willing to say, I'm getting real. They would meet your grace every step of the way. Oh, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. Help us to remember and believe and to trust fully in these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.